verses 6 through 12 of this letter. Let's read this together. Or I'll read it to you. You can read along. How about that? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a li- whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray briefly. Jesus, we pray, as Ryan just prayed, you would bless this time, the preaching and the hearing of your word, for your glory we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This uh, testimony, a lot of language here, uh, eight times uses the language of testimony, testify, uh, it's uh, courtroom language, so uh, I, I regretted not calling my good friend Fraser Reed prior to this to get some, uh, get some tips, uh, but on the, on the courtroom language, um, what's, your, uh, what's your favorite uh, courtroom scene in a movie, do you have one, do you have a favorite, can you think about one, um, I thought about a few this week, I don't know if you remember, uh, all my references are like from the 90s or early 2000s, because that's like my world, but Matthew McConaughey and uh, Time to Kill, that great scene, it's really difficult, uh, but he's advocating for this young girl that was horribly mistreated, uh, what a great scene though, um, uh, the famous scene from To Kill a Mockingbird, some of you know that, uh, some of you are more into the, 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 the comedy, uh, do you remember Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde, anybody remember this? Uh, she, was, uh, she was epic there, and then um, My Cousin Vinny, of course, uh, Alabama reference. I, I did recently see uh, the Just Mercy movie. Have you seen that? Brian Stevenson. I know that's a great movie. Some great courtroom scenes. It, just just the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up at that key moment, right, when they're making the case. Uh, it's just so, um, it, it's, it, it's so thrilling. But my favorite is probably uh, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, right? You can't handle the truth. You know this? Uh, some of the younger people are like, what's he talking about? Please watch the movie. It's a great, you know, a little language in there, but it's, uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great movie. Um, all of these scenes, they, they evoke uh, testimony. So uh, witnesses are called to the stand to verify to the truth uh, of what actually happened. And so the lawyers on both sides, they, they question or they interrogate uh, the witnesses to get to the truth hopefully, or, or to, 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 to spin it in a way that is best for their client, right? Um, and one of the, the strategies of the lawyers is to, to discredit the character of the witnesses, right? This, this witness isn't credible, or uh, this witness couldn't have seen that because the timing is off, or there are multiple witnesses, and so the lawyers try to uh, uh, confuse or see that the testimonies contradict one another, right? To discredit the case so it's thrown out, um, um, so they're acquitted. And the Bible speaks about witnesses too. Uh, the, the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy, they had to have 
two or three witnesses to verify um, the event, the, the crime, the claim. Um, here, John is going to set forward for us three witnesses. Actually, there's a fourth witness because he is testifying in Scripture to us. And John is, the, is an eyewitness, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved uh, was with Jesus. And he begins this letter with these words. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our very own eyes, which we looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, we have seen it and we testify to it. John himself is a witness as he is recorded in scripture to us. Um, He's an eyewitness. One of the best type. He was there. He saw. He touched Jesus. He walked with him. He heard his words. And so here he's going to give us three witnesses to try to validate, uh, to verify the person and work of Jesus. Verse 8 says this. There are three witnesses, and here it is. They all agree. Their stories line up. They're together. This is not always the case. Um, In Mark's gospel, at the end, before Jesus is crucified, uh, it says this. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony about Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. It goes on to say, some said this and some said that. Verse 59 says, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. The false witnesses, they couldn't collaborate their story to present a credible case against Jesus. So it's false teaching. But John's trying to say something is really important about Jesus that we need to believe in him. And here's the witness. They're going to take the stand to build a case that he is who he says he is. And he has done what he says he has done. And as in a trial, the the judge listens and the jury listens, and they are to weigh the evidence to evaluate the testimony, and then what? They reach reach a verdict. They they do something with it. Guilty, right? Or or not guilty. Um, They're freed. We're going to do the same today. We're going to look at uh, the witnesses. Three of them are going to look at the witnesses, and then we're going to say, what do we do with that? What's the result? If we've taken in the evidence, what do we do with it? So what? So let's start with the witnesses. Verse 6 through 8. This is who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water... And the blood, and these three agree. The first two witnesses, uh, it says, Jesus is the one who came by the water and the blood. What does that mean? What is that referring to? Uh, Some have said, if you remember in John, Jesus is on the cross and he's pierced in his side. And what gushes forth? It's it's water and blood. Maybe John's referring to that. Maybe. It doesn't seem like it because it says that Jesus came through the water and the blood. So probably not that. Some have said water and the blood. It's the two sacraments we have as a church. We have baptism, water. Then we have uh, the blood symbolizing uh, the blood of Christ that's poured out for us. Maybe. Commentators think that that might be a secondary purpose. 
But it seems like the third option speaks of the water is the baptism of Jesus. That Jesus came by the water, through the water of his baptism, and by the blood, the blood of the cross, the atoning work. It's, it's the bookends of his life and ministry. It's the beginning. It's the end. It seems like it may be. Uh, first, let's look at baptism. Jesus uh, was baptized how? He was baptized by the baptism of John the Baptist. Um, Matthew 3 says this, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The first witness is testifying about who Jesus is. The witness speaks to a historical reality. It happened in time and space. There were eyewitnesses to this baptism of Jesus. As Jesus was declared, He is the Son. He is my Son who is well pleased. He is receiving the Spirit of God as represented by the dove descending upon Him. Empowering Him. Commissioning Him for His life and ministry over the next three years. Um, but John is using this, um, I believe, uh, and the baptism points not only to the deity of Jesus, this is my son, the Spirit's upon him, but to signify his humanity as well. The Spirit rested on the human person of Jesus. Jesus was a man. He, he got water on him. Um, there were false teachers, as we've talked about. John has written to counter. First John's written to counter false teaching. Um, there were false teachings that taught that, that Jesus was God or God-like. But certainly God couldn't become flesh, right? John said that earlier. Certainly he couldn't come in the flesh. Certainly couldn't be like us, right? That, that, that get dirty, um, that, that bleed, right? That have coffee breath, that have... Uh, uh, you know, dirt under our fingernails. Certainly God couldn't do that. So Jesus was God, um, but he uh, um, wasn't fully man. He appeared to be man. One of the teachings that John is countering here. They denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. But here, Jesus is receiving the baptism of John, which is what? The baptism of repentance. John came baptizing for repentance. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent, right? He was perfect in every way, and yet in his repentance, what was he doing? Who was he identifying with? He was identifying with the sinner. He was identifying with humanity. He was saying at the beginning of his ministry, he's identifying with the lowly, the sinner, the broken. Not all of Israel got baptized. Not all of them received it, but Jesus John said, no. And Jesus said, yes, you must be baptized. Jesus said, I must be baptized. I must sympathize, as Hebrews would say, with us in every way. I must be like him. Jesus was fully human. Jesus had to know what it was like to have weakness. Jesus had to know what it was like to deal with life as we know it. Jesus understands our humanity. One of the implications of this first witness is that um, Jesus understands your plight. Did you know that? Um, sometimes we think of Jesus, and we think maybe more of his deity, and he's like, well, of course, he's God. He can endure that. He could do that. But Jesus knows your struggle. 
He came in the flesh. He knows heartbreak. He knows weakness. He knows brokenness. He knows physical ailment. He was tired. He wept. He struggled. Without sin. And yet he knows the story of humanity. Jesus is near. The testimony says he came by the water. But he also came... He came by the blood. Um, Second witness testifies to the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Notice verse 6 says this. Not only by the water, but by the water and the blood. Um, Again, John's countering false teaching. There were some that taught um, that Jesus uh, at the baptism... It's indisputable. There were too many eyewitnesses. The dove came. We heard the, he is my beloved son. There's something unique about him. He is the, the Christ is upon Jesus. But they taught that before Jesus went to the cross, before he suffered and died, that the Christ removed himself from Jesus. That sounds weird to us. We don't teach that. But surely God, if he is God, can't die. right? The Christ can't die. How is this possible? This seemed blasphemous to the Gnostic teachers. So the Christ removed himself from Jesus, and Jesus died as a peasant. He died as a criminal. He died the vulgar death, stripped naked on the cross, just like the other criminals. But he couldn't be God himself on the cross. And John says, no. He came by water. He is the Son. He is the Christ, fully human, and he came by the blood, through the blood, through the death, and through to the resurrection of Christ himself. He did indeed. The God who made flesh, the God who spoke you and I into existence, humanity, became like us and then let us kill him. He became as man and then let man crucify him. You see how that's hard to believe, right? You see the scandal of the cross and the resurrection. That God would allow humanity to do that. And yet God, the testimony, the witnesses. Yeah, it was through the blood that he did these things. The witnesses speak. Um, The first two speak of this historical account. The the water, um, his baptism, the blood, his death. Um, they were countering false teachings of the day. And you say, well, you know, we, that's kind of weird. We, we don't hear those things taught today, right? We don't teach that, that the Christ's principle left. And some actually do, but you don't hear that very often. Um, but what, how does it apply to us? It applies to us in this way. Uh, I think what John is helping us do is establish that our faith is bound in historical realities. Jesus came as a man in time, in space, in one location to die, to live, and to die for us. He became our life. He lived our life and died our death. We believe that. We believe that one man has done those things. He's entered in in a unique way. Um, Other religions can't fathom that God would do such. That we would put all of our faith on one historical reality. And yet... That's what Christianity teaches. It's historical, but we have witnesses. So false teaching today is something like this. Jesus is, maybe he's a part of it, but he's kind of moved to the periphery. Tell me if you've, if you've heard this. Um, 
we talk less about Jesus and more about principles for living, right? The five steps to a better life. You, hear, you find it in the self-help section of bookstores. Are there bookstores? I don't know. You find it on Amazon, self-help, at, or at the airport. Um, you find it in pulpits, right? Uh, he, the seven ways to improve your life. And so Jesus is not the focus, the who he, he's kind of to the periphery, and, and yet here are the sort of principles that kind of make life work. Um, or we look for nuggets of truth from the Bible to improve our, our, you know, our daily bread. This little thing, and this is going to help me through my day. Can be helpful. Um, we, or, or, or it's about moralism. It's about um, be, being uh, the best you can be. I, I remember my seminary professor used to talk about the killer bees, you know. How many sermons are about be better, be good, be kind, be respectful, be their good neighbor, right? All those things, which we really do want to be, and we want our kids to be, and yet there's no power in that, because that's not the center of the gospel. Jesus is center, and in Jesus, we're empowered to be those things. The, you've probably heard the, the famous now language that uh, is, 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 is accused of this type of, of language, of... of uh, moralistic therapeutic deism have you heard that term it's pretty popular today christian smith used it in 2005 and it's kind of took off that so much of the the culture and even our church culture becomes moralistic make us better people it's therapeutic we, we borrow some good language from therapy but we import it into into our scripture into our to make us uh better happier more self-fulfilled people now i hope we're happy self-fulfilled better moral people, right? Do we all want that? Can we say yes? Do we need that? We need that. Do we teach our kids that? We do. Um, so it's tricky. We want to love our neighbor. Uh, we want to we uh, uh, take care of the orphans and widows. Of course um, we do. But what happened, it doesn't look like the Gnostic teaching, but it looks like Jesus... Jesus light. Jesus is minimized. Uh, Jesus is just, he's, a, he's an extra help to your day. You know, he's an extra shot of espresso on a hard morning. Um, Jesus uh, is, uh, is downgraded. He's domesticated. Uh, he's neutered from the force of what he says he is in Scripture. And so we come away with, we come away with a truncated, a small view, instead of the earthy, blood and water view of Jesus. Because it's the blood and water view that saves. It's the blood and water that identifies with sinners that say, I'm really messed up, I've got a lot of problems, I don't need just a little help, I don't need just a little rehab, I need my whole heart to be changed. It's that kind of Jesus we need. We sentimentalize Jesus. Michael Horton says this in his book Christless Christianity, speaking about this idea. To preach the Bible as the handbook for life or as the answers to our questions rather than as the revelation of Christ, hear testimony. Is to turn the Bible into an entirely different book. This is how the Pharisees approach Scripture. As we can see clearly from the questions they asked for Jesus, the Pharisee, to the Pharisees, the Scriptures were a, tr a source of trivia for life's dilemmas, right? It's helping us out. It's the nuggets of truth kind of thing. It's not what the Bible is. It's not who Jesus is. 
Horton goes on to say, but rather a church that is deeply aware of its misery and nakedness before a holy God will cling tenaciously to an all-sufficient Savior, a blood-and-water Savior, while, while one that is self-confident and relatively unaware of his inherent sinfulness will reach for religion and morality whenever it seems convenient. Did you hear that last part? If you don't have an earthy, real Jesus, a suffering Jesus, a one that lived your life, Jesus is out of mind until things get hard, and then you reach for him because you really need it, and he kind of becomes convenient to you. He's an add-on. We don't hear a lot of the Gnostic teaching, but we hear a, a deconstructed view that lacks the historical reality that Jesus was baptized to identify with sinners like us, and that he bled and died in our place. And so it's present. This American Christianity we're fighting, we're pushing against. First two witnesses, do you, do you know that kind of Jesus? Do you know the, the, real, the real Jesus? The third witness is the Spirit. It says the Spirit is the one who testifies. He's the Spirit of truth, it says. Uh, if we receive the Spirit of men, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of the Spirit would be even greater the Spirit comes to testify to the truth about who Jesus is. So the Spirit takes those two historical realities. The, the, the verb tenses are past. Jesus came by blood and water in the past, 2,000-something years ago. But the Spirit testifies in the present tense now in our hearts. John Calvin says this, The Spirit is He who seals in our hearts the testimony of the water and blood. He takes something that seems so archaic so out of place, and he makes it alive in our hearts today. If you want to look at it as the, the blood and water of the objective side of the gospel, it really happened. And the subjective side is the presence of God by the Spirit applies those things to our hearts, to us. The scripture uses the language of being born again by the work of God. And what that does, the Spirit's work does something important for us because... Um, we're, we're, it's a pretty smart crowd, pretty smart, educated group. Um, I know many of you uh, have far more degrees uh, and better IQ than I. Um, but what this tells us with the Spirit is that as important as reason and logic, and we've talked a lot about that, thinking well about the faith, um, faith, reason won't get us all the way there. Can't do it. We can't reason our way to God, we must have the Spirit to enliven us. Anselm, the, the, the 11th century theologian, said this, I believe faith in order to understand. The function of, the function of, of, of reason was not to, to get me there. I believed, and then as I believed, I reason and grow and develop and learn. Blaise Pascal in the 17th century said this, This is faith. God felt by the heart, not by reason. The heart has its reason, which reason cannot know. When he's using heart there, he's not meaning uh, 21st century sentimentality, soupy, feel-good kind of thing. He's talking about the in in intuition, the, the discernment, the working within of the spirit takes priority. We must 
be born again. You say, well, no, no, I need the facts. You've got to prove it to me. Show me, right? Do you know people were with, with uh, Jesus when he healed, uh, when he raised Lazarus from the dead? He was dead. Jesus rose, and they don't, I, I, can't, I don't believe. Jesus fed 5,000 people. He healed the, the, the deaf, the mute, the blind. And people said, you're not the Christ. They saw it, and they didn't believe. There, there's something there. It's not that we can get all the things in order. Uh, the analogy, you know, coming to faith is not like studying really hard or, or overcoming a, you know, a, 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 a problem in science or math, and you just work at it, work at it, work at it, and you finally come to the conclusion. It's not like that. It's like, uh, it's like cataracts on your eyes. They get removed. And you were blind. Boom. And now you can see. And you're like, oh, it was here the whole time. They're, they're, they're giving testimony the whole time. And it was there, and I couldn't see it. It's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one. He testifies to our hearts, applying the blood and water to us. He testifies to the truth. He speaks of the life and death and resurrection. Those are the three witnesses. The water, the blood, and the spirit. Very briefly on this this last thing. What is the result of the witnesses? What should we do? What do we do with the testimony? Um, 10 to 12, it says, I'll summarize. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in him. Whoever does not believe has made God out to be a liar. Verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to hear the evidence, and our hearts are supposed to be moved to believe. And we just said the Spirit has to make us alive to believe. So it's not only just initial belief, but we're called to hear the evidence again and again and to believe into it, to live into it, to the faith to which we've been given by the Holy Spirit. It says the testimony is within him. The Son of God has the testimony in himself. The testimony of the Spirit moves within us. And we fuel and we grow and we develop the Spirit of God within us. So we believe the gospel at some point. The Spirit enlivens us. Then we believe the gospel. We come to faith. But then we go through life. (laughs) Right? You know, some of you kids in here, right? You guys know challenges as kids and st- struggles and stresses in school. And, and we apply our faith. We believe the gospel. And then, and then some of you are in college or grad school or med school. And it's like, this is the hardest thing ever. It's so difficult. I can never overcome it. And so your faith is tested there. And you have to believe afresh into what the Spirit is already doing within you. It's this working together. This synergistic thing where you're partnering with the Spirit to apply faith now. And then some of you are, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're married or you have kids or you're, or you're, you're single. And you're, you have to wrestle because this season seems so difficult. And so you can't rest on the laurels of your faith back then in, in college and youth group. But you have to live it today and apply it with the difficulties and the despair and the struggle. Some of you have, you're older and maybe you're... You know, I hear from people that are kids, they're in college or adults, and they say, I still worry about my kids. They're 37, and I'm still worried about them. I still pray for them, right? It doesn't go away. It's a challenge. 
And so even in, as we all get retirement, we're having to apply faith new in that season. It never goes away. We have to believe into the gospel. Believe into who Jesus is. And those are all the like normal everyday life examples. Right? What about when, uh, boom, you get a phone call and, and, you, and there's cancer. That wasn't in my plan, right? Or, or there's infertility. Right? Or uh, you know, a loved one dies. Or um, you lose your job. I was saved at 16. I'm 39, but no job. 16's not helping me a whole lot right now, is it? Right? Or, or maybe there's a pandemic. Right? Who planned that for 2020? You know? Or it's election year. God help everyone. Right? Or a hurricane. Are we having those still? Yeah, like Tuesday? Right? You, you see, John wants to do this. John wants to build this case that's airtight, that's, that's based in history. It's based in concrete reality of what Jesus has done. But, but it's in concert with his work in our life in present day. And we feed the Spirit. We, we, Galatians says we walk with the Spirit. We meet with God in his word. He's the spirit of truth. So he loves to, when you open the Bible. and He just screams out, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. And when we believe it, we come and we gather together around it. We're anchored deeper and deeper and deeper because we're going to need to be, because we're going to have to apply the faith in about a million examples in our lives. And some of you have walked through some of the most difficult things. And it was only your faith. It was only the connection to the risen Christ. It wasn't a little help here from Jesus, right? It was a deep faith that had been testified to, that had stood up, that offered you substance in the difficulty. And we get the reward. We get the benefit, says we get eternal life at the end. If you have the Son, you have life. This life, it says, is a gift. God gave it to us. It's a... it's in Jesus, and it's a present possession. It's not eternal life doesn't mean when I die. Did you know that? It means the life of the, the age. And in the gospel, the age broke in when Jesus came. And in Jesus, the resurrection, eternal life has begun. So we have it now to live into the fruit of what Jesus has done. Um, there's a lot of testimony. Um, what do you think? How, how long do you need to go back in the chamber and deliberate? You know? <laughs> Is it, I'm not so sure. And some of you are there. That's okay. Keep asking questions. Keep wrestling with it. Um, but the testimony is there. Will you trust, will you trust him? Um, he is the only thing, the only source that can give you your life, the anchor in difficulty. He's the only thing that can give your life meaning. He's the only thing that can give your life joy and passion and hope is to be anchored in the gospel of Christ. Believe the testimony. His, his life, his death, his resurrection for us, applied by the Spirit. Let's live into that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word. Um, you have spoken by your Son. You've spoken through your word. You've spoken uh, clearly. We, have, we are without excuse And yet, Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Even as we proclaim our belief, we wake up in the morning and we struggle. Can you love us? Can you you give us enough to make it through the day? 
Can we endure this challenge that is so heavy? God, give us the faith. Grant us faith by your Spirit to do so. We pray in Jesus' name.